Hi, I'm Channing. And I'm Elise. And this is the Faithful Feminist Podcast. We focus on feminist interpretation of scriptures and follow the LDS Come Follow Me manual as a guide for study. We understand that scriptures can be a tricky endeavor for readers, but we also believe sacred texts contain really compelling examples of loving and liberating relationships with the divine, others, and ourselves. We hope you'll join us in exploring the problems and promises of sacred text with imagination, critique, and celebration to reveal what we feel is the loving and liberating heart of scripture. While Mormonism, with its iconic floral foyer couches, is our background, we follow our faith and our God on the path of spirituality over institution and connection over condemnation. We are fellow wanderers, weavers, and doubters. If you found yourself feeling too faithful for some and not enough for others, welcome. We've saved you a seat on the soft chairs. Hi friends, welcome back to the podcast. We know we've been away for a while, so let's just orient ourselves in space and time. Today is July 26, 2023. We've taken what we thought was going to be a month, but really was a two-month break from the podcast. And we're here today to record our final episode. We know that that is kind of a surprise. It was a little bit of a surprise for us too. We weren't expecting to come back from our break feeling ready to close this project, but alas, that is what happened. So instead of just dropping the podcast and never returning to it, we wanted to come back and share some of our experiences and favorite moments from the last four years that we've been doing this podcast to give a little bit of closure to the project and also invite you all in for a behind the scenes look at what it's been like for the last four years for Elise and I. So we have a lot of complicated feelings about this project being over. There's a little bit of relief, but there's also a lot of sadness and a lot of tenderness for the project and for our past selves that have been so deeply involved in this. So we're grateful to have the time to talk through that and move through that and look back on how much we've grown and changed throughout this podcast. Yeah, like Channing said, we're really, really proud of the work that we've been able to do on the podcast and also all of the ways we've been able to connect with so many of you, both online and in person. We feel especially honored to hear about how the episodes have found their way into your lives and your church spaces. And even from listeners, we often hear that our episodes have changed something something for them, like changed the way that they understood a scripture passage or changed the way they thought about Mormon doctrine or culture or change their relationships with faith and God. And honestly, like we couldn't agree more. The podcast has changed us too. And I think that maybe there's a sense of outgrowing the podcast, not that we haven't been appreciative or not that we don't love the podcast. We absolutely do. But it seems like we are ready, both Channing and I, for something different. And I don't even think since the inception of the podcast, we didn't really know what the timeline was We knew we wanted to stick around for all four years, but we didn't really have a sense of if this was going to be like an infinite, eternal project because we didn't know how we would feel about returning to the same text again and again and again, especially as we changed as people and as our faith changed and as our relationships to the church has changed. And so for all of those reasons, we just felt really kind of peaceful and that it was the right decision for us to bring the podcast to a close in a way that feels wholesome while recognizing all of the really meaningful ways that the podcast has shaped us and all of our listeners. Absolutely. So we wanted to just take some time to go through our time during the podcast year by year and talk about how things started, where we began, and how we kind of grew and changed both personally and podcast-wise over the last couple of years. And so we are going to travel back in time all the way back to the year 2020, which might be activating for pretty much all of us. But February 2020 was the very first time that we posted on the Faithful Feminist podcast. So Elise, do you want to share a little bit about 
where we were at as we were prepping and getting ready for the podcast to begin. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think many of you may recall that even before 2020, Channing and I had become friends when Channing lived in Phoenix and I was actually her visiting teacher. And this was like maybe seven years ago or something. And as our friendship deepened, both Channing and I just expressed how unfulfilled or irritated or disappointed or even hurt by the church experiences that we had felt, especially during Sunday school classes, because we thought that there was so much more to say and discuss about the scriptures and our contemporary world than was being covered in these lessons. And so whenever we ended up getting together, our conversations would deepen and eventually make this really hard theological turn where we would be (laughs) sitting across the table from one another being like, and what is God? And like, how does feminism connect to all of this? And really just kind of spiraling down these holes. And eventually when Channing moved to Utah, we spent a lot of time building our relationship through phone calls and Marco Polo. And eventually we pitched the idea of trying to do some type of Come Follow Me podcast because at the time we were both still relatively what I would consider like active, even if we had heavy critiques and nuanced faith journeys in the church. Mm -hmm. But I think we felt like we needed something different from scripture stories and from our church experience. And we were already having these conversations, so we wanted to see what it could be like to start a podcast. Definitely to enrich and benefit our own study and connection to the scriptures and to God, but to also see if there were other people with whom this message resonated as well. Yeah, it was definitely one of those experiences where Elise just randomly one day was like, we should do a podcast. And I was like... Yeah, that's actually a really good idea. And just like Elise said, it really seemed like a natural extension of the work that we were already doing in our friendship. And so we were just like, what it, what would it be like to just hit record? And part of me is like, oh, if only it were that simple. <laughs> we did we did not make it so simple um, as just pressing record on conversations that we were already having. But we were so excited to share these conversations in a way that would reach a wider audience because we really felt like, or at least we really hoped, that there were other people out there who would be just as excited and just as interested in the conversations that we were having. And we were so surprised and so grateful that that actually turned out to be true. Yeah, that's right. And I remember, I want to share just maybe two moments that I remember during the like early planning years. Mm -hmm. One was us, we had such a difficult time trying to come up with a name and a logo for the podcast, which is so (laughs) hilarious because our name is really basic, like love, faithful feminist. But (laughs) I'm personally someone who needs like hundreds of bad or blah ideas before arriving at something I feel good about. So I would just spam, like honestly, nonstop text chanting like, what about this? What about this for all the different names and for all the different logos? And finally, Channing was like, look, I need you to just narrow it down and then send me the narrowed down ideas. Like I didn't need to be as like chaotic in the brainstorming process. And so that was that was a funny time. That was a funny time for us just to kind of get our bearings on what we were doing and where we were going. And then I also remember when we had kind of figured out our name, we I think maybe you came to Phoenix in December or something like that. Yeah. And we were like, okay, like we're going to launch the podcast at the beginning of the new year or, you know, in February. And so we need pictures to create content for our Instagram (laughs) platform. And so Channing flew to Phoenix and we had, thank goodness, we had professional photos done by a really awesome friend. But then Channing and I had also like snuck into the church building because I had a key at the time. And we set up our own photo shoot using church furniture, like and maybe we should go back and repost these or bring these to the top of the feed. Definitely. But we're sitting on like the iconic paisley floral church couches <laughs> and the big red velvet chairs. And just like really, you can tell that we're trying to really be confident in ourselves. But there's also part of us that was just laughing so hard because we're like, what are we doing? I like <laughs> there's we're in this weird mix it mixing of space between really traditional Mormonism and us trying to break out and do something really different. Yeah, I also remember on that same trip, those feelings around being in the church and just like even feeling like really um, transgressive about like, we're moving the furniture out of the places that they normally are. (laughs) And like, what do we think we're doing? And uh, feeling really... 
feeling really naughty about doing that. Um, yeah. even though it's really we put it all back, and yeah, like, we didn't do we were totally wrong. respectful with it, but mm-hmm. it just felt so out of the norm. And I think in it, I think in a way that's kind of like a good image for where we were we at, were. Um, yeah. like feeling about the podcast before it started. One of my favorite memories from that trip is when we were prepping the podcast intro. Um, Elise very much wanted to have like things like perfect and polished, which I'm so grateful for because the project would be totally different if I was the only one in charge. Um, but I remember probably spending like two hours yeah. prepping what was eventually going to be like one minute and 30 second <laughs> intro to the podcast. And we were like so mm-hmm. carefully picking our words and what we wanted to say in this intro. And I just remember like sitting on your bed and practicing the intro for the very first time and just like laughing and also mm-hmm. like congratulating ourselves at the end like, oh my God, good job. It sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> Because these things mattered. I don't, I mean, that this is a kind of theme that we'll get into when we reflect on the first few years of the podcast. But especially for me, I really, really wanted to make sure that this was a good podcast, that it was both quality, but that it was also well researched and that every word was intentional, that everything we chose to say and share on the podcast was meaningful in some way. And for me, that really took a lot of weight or that added a lot of weight to the introduction because I wanted it to just be just so. And I recognize that's a bit of um, perfectionism, but I also think that it's also a lot of care. Like we really wanted this to be something impactful. Yeah. And I even think that word intentionality is something that I would for sure apply to the podcast. And like I said before, I really do think that that's a big strength that you brought to the partnership, Elise brought to the partnership. Like she said from the very beginning, we've done our best to create an offering that feels really welcoming and inclusive. And that's not to say that we haven't like made mistakes and learned a lot along the way, but it is to say that there was a huge focus on care, consideration, and compassion. And I've really had the privilege of, you know, being behind the scenes and personally witnessing Elise center those things over and over again for the podcast. And I think that that has been a real gift, not just for me, but also for the community in general, because it really has made it feel like a soft place to land. So I don't think it's perfectionism, Elise. I think it's just this really beautiful talent that you have for caring about people. Mm, Thanks. That's really kind of you. And I, I recognize too that although there was a lot of care behind it, I also felt pretty intimidated because Mm -hmm. who are we to have any authority to start the podcast? Like we didn't know how to do anything. Right. We watched a ton of YouTube videos and read tons of articles about how to record a podcast, where to host it, how to edit a podcast. Like we needed to learn all of those things for ourselves. And also it wasn't like we were trained theologians in any formal way. And I remember doing so much reading before the before we started the podcast in feminist theory and feminist theology because again I wanted to make sure that what we had to say was meaningful and impactful and was also like sound in some way that that we had kind of worked toward uh, a research-based thoughtful interpretation of whatever we were doing. Yeah, I remember sharing that sense of intimidation too and I know that you and I had lots of conversations in the background about like I have never, like, I think I've shared this on the podcast before, but I actually don't have a college degree in anything. And so that had for me a long time been a huge barrier to feeling confident and able to share or say much of anything on the podcast. And Elise was so encouraging and just reminded me like, hey, living a life gives qualifications and experiences of its own. And so I was really grateful for that encouragement because definitely for the first few years, we definitely wanted to make sure that a lot of the things that we were sharing were grounded and rooted in something academic, something a little bit more, uh, yeah, sound is a really good way to share it. But also I feel like I made up for whatever I felt like I didn't have in academic experience with a lot of passion and a lot of perspective from my own life. And that was a really unique experience that ended up making me feel like so 
proud of myself and so proud of the work that I had done and really validating to then receive some of the feedback that we have from the podcast about it being so well researched and so helpful. And I'm like, oh, I can do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that yeah, was really and, incredible. And I think too, we were really in this dynamic for the first couple of years of like, I hardly shared anything personal, like of any personal nature on the podcast, like almost ever. And I was really, I really like doing formal academic research. And so I think I would bring that kind of flavor to the podcast, but Channing has always been so good about allowing herself to show up fully on the podcast, bring her like poetic and creative talents and her personal stories and storytelling abilities to the podcast. And I think in the early years, we can kind of um, piece out how those strengths showed up in the podcast. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Okay, should we talk about our first year in the Book of Mormon? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So this was 20 This was 2020 and the first book that we're doing in the podcast because we're following the Come Follow Me manual is the Book of Mormon. So we're we're starting really heavy into Mormonism with the podcast because the first 2 years are Mormon specific texts. So the Book of Mormon for the first year and then the Doctrine and Covenants for the second year. And the first year we started, so 2020 with the Book of Mormon, I would classify myself as like a nuanced, critical Mormon at the time. And I felt like the podcast was a really great way for me to explore these topics in a way that balanced my love of research, but also like still allowed me to participate in the church in some kind in some way. And I also feel like I was grappling with how to communicate and share feminist theology on the podcast in a way that people would be interested in. Because oftentimes people would think that we were doing like heaven, like when I think early in the podcast years, when people would see Mormon feminists, they would just kind of assume that that meant heavenly mother, heavenly mother stuff. And that wasn't what we were doing. And I also think that there was this assumption that maybe doing the work of feminist theology only ever meant like finding or talking about women in the scriptures, which We did do some of that, but that's not the only thing that we tried to do on the podcast. And so I was just trying to figure out a way to like bring feminist theology to the forefront while still balancing my own participation and complicated relationship with the church, but also not only get like swept up into this very particular understanding of Mormon feminism, which looked like focusing on women only and focusing on Heavenly Mother. Yeah, we were really uh, clear with each other that we wanted to do something different than or what we felt felt was different than what was already being done in really public or visible Mormon feminist spaces. And so it always felt like we were kind of inside the Mormon feminist space, but also a little bit outside the Mormon feminist space. Like it never really felt like even through the entire length of the podcast, we ever really found like, these are our people mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, this is our space in Mormonism or even in Mormon feminism because we did some of the things, but we didn't do all of the things and we all, and the things that we did do were in a lot of ways really different. And I think sometimes people didn't know what to do with us yeah. and that's okay. We felt really good about that. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. And at the time when we started the podcast, I had two family members living with us, and it was also right at the beginning of quarantine. So I didn't have a place to record. And so the whole time I was recording in my closet in my bedroom, which would get so hot that I would have to record like almost nude because every episode I would leave like completely drenched in sweat. And I don't have a good sense of like whether that was just because I was in the closet or also because I was so nervous to record the first few episodes, but probably all of those things. I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. And some other things to note. I remember we had much longer episode times, like both recording time and edited episode time. Like we would record for an hour and a half or almost two hours at some times at some time, which meant that we had to do a ton of editing on the on the back end to make those episodes like an hour long. Like we had to cut out so much content because we were still trying to get get the hang of it. We didn't know what we could say or not say on the podcast, what we would need to edit out or re-say or how to organize our outline and our materials. And I also recognize that during the first year, I think I relied a lot on longer quotes from other authors because surely I felt like it gave me more credibility. And so I spent a lot of time reading other people's words because I was still trying to find my confidence in, you know, making claims or offering interpretations about the text. 
I feel like for me personally, I was kind of in the same space, like spiritually. I felt like that first year we were really well matched in where we were spiritually. Like I I remember when we first began the podcast that I was like so sure that we that it was like possible to be both Mormon and feminist at the same time. And I was like setting out on this podcast to like show people how it's done, which is like I'm looking back on that part of myself like, oh, that's so cute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I know I know differently uh, now. But back then, I just remembered myself feeling so passionately about, sure, it's difficult to do that, but it's totally possible. And it is possible for like a year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good job, Channing, for a year. Yeah. <laughs> um, At that time, I would have classified myself as a faithful and believing member who was also hopeful and working passionately toward change. But at the same time, I didn't share this on the podcast. I was also feeling a huge internal pull towards spiritual frameworks outside of Mormonism. I was really interested in paganism and the occult and earth-based spirituality. And so alongside all of my study for feminist theology and feminist theory, For the podcast, I was also learning and seeking so much light and knowledge in other non-Christian spiritual traditions. And so I recognized that even as I felt it was so possible to do this impossible thing of being Mormon and LDS, that 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 wasn't even totally reflective of all of the complexity of what I was feeling spiritually at the time. And same as Elise, when I first, like, as we first started this podcast, I remember just, like, putting in a mass order on thrift books to get all of the feminist theology books. And I was, like, reading them nonstop just so I could, like, test myself and see, like, am I doing this right? Am I doing this well? And trying to teach myself how to do something that really, in truth, I already knew how to do. And that was reading scripture. I also had a lot of imposter syndrome and felt like I had a lot to prove. And another thought that I had, Elise, about that first year of the podcast was I really feel like we spent a lot of time laying the groundwork for feminist interpretation. Mm -hmm. Like we had to spend so much time introducing and defining things like feminism, hermeneutics, lens, privilege, ecofeminism. But what I love about us doing that is that we were still so like fresh and new to those terms and using these new skills that we remembered what it was like to not know how to do those things and Mm -hmm. not know what any of those things meant, especially in a Mormon context. And because of that, I feel like we were able to take a good amount of time and patience to lead our listeners through these concepts really well. And so I think that that first year, we definitely were able to introduce these concepts in a way that felt accessible for people. And I don't know, I feel really proud of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was no, a big deal to do. It was a big deal to do while also recognizing that we were still also trying to figure it out for yep. ourselves. Like we were really, we really wanted to make sure that the message was clear and made sense on the podcast, but there was a ton of behind the scenes work to like build that confidence and security before delivering. I'm curious, did you have a favorite episode from that year? Yeah, I remember thinking that one of my favorite, but also what I, I I remember feeling like I hoped that this episode that we had titled Seeds and Circles was going to be a really important and impactful episode for listeners because this is the, this was the first time that we were talking about stages of faith Mm -hmm. and how normal and natural it is for your faith to change and develop along particular phases. Like, and I, I was really hoping that listeners could have this episode as some type of balm or reassurance because these because this framework of Fowler's stages of faith development was really important for me to recognize like, oh, wait, it's not just that I'm not faithful enough or that I have too many doubts or too many questions about the church. Like, it's not a personal failing on my part that my faith is changing. In fact, it's a really natural human way for your faith to change and develop. And we tried to really... And we tried to introduce that framework on the podcast, and I hoped that many of our listeners who may have found themselves in a doubting or what's called like a dark night of the soul phase of faith could relate to this episode. And so that's always been one of my favorites because I think it's an important one. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. But what about you? What were some of your standout episodes from that year? 
Yeah, I think standout is the right word because I don't think I have favorite episodes from that year. I have like one that stands out for a good reason and one that stands out for a not good reason. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The one that stands out for a good reason, which I laugh because it's like actually pretty a horrific story, is the episode uh, where Alma and Amulek just watched the women and children burn for their testimonies. I actually don't remember what this episode was called. And that story still haunts me to this day. It was so awful. And I remember for that episode being completely unable to hold back my critique of that story. And I remember feeling almost afraid of how bold and how boldly I shared those feelings because I was like, oh, how's this going to affect our audience? And how is our audience going to feel about me and feel about our podcast if I share these really strong feelings, this really strong critique about the story? But it was also an experience of being able to share my feelings in a really real and honest way. And that felt really cathartic. And I noticed in myself that was kind of a turning point in my ability to show up with my authentic feelings around the podcast. And I was I was really grateful for that. So that's a that's a standout episode for me in that way. But also the standout episode in not a good way. It was the Daughters of the Lamanites episode, which we recorded, I think it was like maybe our fifth or sixth episode we ever did. Mm -hmm. And I remember (laughs) going into that story feeling so tripped up and not really sure what to do with the characters and the story. And I felt totally unequipped to handle it well. And it's still an episode that like thinking back of if I were to like rank my like least favorite or episodes that I'm the least proud of, that would probably rank number one. Like I know that I was in a space um, in feminism that was still like definitely squarely in white feminism. I had no awareness of intersectionality. I had no awareness of white supremacy or privilege. I didn't really understand racial inequity. And I think that that showed up big time in that episode. And so I, I don't even like dare go back to listen to it because I think that I would just the whole time be like, Ooh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, that was one that I think if I were to go back and do it again now that I would handle completely differently. Um, But yeah, that was one that I noticed very early on, like, oh my gosh, I actually don't know everything. And my skill set in white feminism feels um, incomplete in giving the story the justice that it really requires. Yeah. And I think that's another tricky part about the podcast is that At the time, we were doing what we thought was best with the tools that we had, and it's it just we would just continually fall short. And I think that hindsight can allow us to see that a little bit better than we could at the time. But but we still felt like the project was worth doing, even if that meant we were going to make mistakes in a public way for years to come. Yeah, but I also think that was a real gift to us personally. Like we had to learn so quickly how to be accountable, how Mm -hmm. to apologize, how to um, be respectful and acknowledge our biases. And that was a really tough pill to swallow, but so necessary. And by the time we got to the Old Testament, I really feel like we had – learn to navigate those skills really well. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it was a huge personal learning process. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> I can just, I can just remember it's like sweet Channing working so hard, tirelessly on this podcast, reading for hours, spending hours prepping, spending hours editing, spending hours marketing the podcast and still getting critiqued Mm -hmm. and how difficult it was for me to swallow my pride and acknowledge that all of the work that I was putting toward the podcast still was not always going to be enough and that that was okay and that Mm -hmm. the project still was worth doing but that I also had to be humble and willing to acknowledge my shortcomings and um that was a that was a steep learning curve <laughs> yeah for me personally as we entered the public sphere yeah absolutely and just to go back to something that you had said about feeling like hesitant to like how bold in our critiques or in our opinions or stances could we be on the podcast? I think that maybe for some people, and especially for me right now, I'm like, that's so silly. We should have just done whatever we wanted and said <laughs> said how we really felt. But at the time, I still think that things were really tense and rife 
about Mormonism and feminism. Like I had people that when I told about the podcast were saying things like, well, if the church finds out you both might be excommunicated and like, are you really sure that you can do this? And are you really sure that you want to critique the church in this way? And so there was just a lot of kind of worry that I had and I didn't feel as confident in the possibility of excommunication that I do now because it was the first year. And so we were definitely trying to tiptoe some type of line between like, how far can we push things while still not being like found out by our church leaders or something like that? Yeah. Well, and it wasn't like the podcast didn't have consequences in our like real lived experience. Sure. Like I always like I had family members who were listening. I had friends who were listening. I like lost friends and relationship with family members based on the podcast and like based on my faith journey and my faith transition. And so I think it would be dishonest to say that there were no consequences Mm -hmm. for the podcast. Like, sure, we haven't received like formal church discipline because of what we said on the podcast. But I even remember like continued conversations that I would have with people where there really was this sense of like warning and caution, yeah, like, oh, you better be it. careful, like, about what you say because there might be consequences for it. Mm-hmm. And always trying to say things in the like right way or the acceptable way um, in order to avoid those consequences because at the time we were still really worried about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then to add to the worry, not to add to the worry, but Year two comes along in our journey, and that means we're doing the Doctrine and Covenants, which we're saying like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, like, wow, this is a lot of Mormonism to be working with in the first two years. And also, there was so much history that we had to grapple with with the Doctrine and Covenants, because these aren't the same type of stories as the other books of scripture. And at times, we did treat the Doctrine and Covenants like a set of stories, as opposed to a capital T truth, the factual accounts of God and prophecy, but there were so many historical threads to find and pull on to get, because we needed a sense of what was going on at the time this was written. And I know that we felt quite nervous for this year because we knew we were going to have to talk about polygamy, but we didn't know how or when or in like what form that would take. So those were like how I was feeling going into Doctrine and Covenant year. What about you? I Yeah, I also remember like, I, I don't know that I ever told you this or I've ever told anyone this, but because in the Book of Mormon, it was so much more story-based and a lot of the skill set that other feminist uh, theologians and scholars would use for Old Testament and New Testament or for the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament could translate so well to the Book of Mormon. Those same skills and same frameworks sometimes translated well to the Doctrine and Covenants, but also sometimes didn't. And so I felt really frustrated that we had to rely so heavily on church-produced content (laughs) to navigate that year Um, because we just, like, can you imagine if we had to do our own historical research on top of what we were already doing for the podcast? Like, it would have made doing the podcast that year completely impossible. So we really relied super heavily on what the church provided. But also at the same time, like, how how else would we have gotten that information? It all would have been through the church anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it worked out. But I do remember both of us being like, oh my gosh, we have to do extra reading. Um, because we did. We had to do reading of journals and reading of historical accounts. And that was something that we never had to do in any of the other years of the podcast. Right, right. Well, yeah, which was just at this point one year before that. Right. Um, but still, but still, it was a big shift. And like thinking about podcast wise I definitely think our polygamy series yeah I definitely think our polygamy series it seems to be the way that many people end up finding the podcast and these are also some of the episodes that we receive the most emails about most frequently and looking back at these episodes I'm really proud of the way that we handled the pain that was experienced in Mormon polygamy and I also still want to explore the queer possibilities of kinship networks that were formed between women like the women wives Mm -hmm. and that's definitely not something I was ready for at the time and I recognize that there was a clear bias there 
And I know that we didn't even plan to make a polygamy series from the get-go. Yeah. (laughs) No, we like – when we sat down intending to record just one episode on polygamy, and that episode ended up being two hours long, and we couldn't cut anything from it. And we were like, this is not – this is not going to work. So we ended up splitting that recording into several different recordings And then rounding out the series with some conclusions and also um, our friend Brooke volunteered to come in and use some of her coaching skill set to kind of help us navigate the really complex and painful issue of polygamy. And that, again, for sure was another instance of, wow, we had spent so much time preparing and creating this offering. And even still, you're right, this is a conversation and those episodes still continue to bring um, critique and discussion um, about polygamy in general and also about our approach to polygamy in those episodes. And I'm like so glad because it's a good reminder that even in an entire week's worth of podcast series, we still didn't touch on all of the different ways that we can look at and understand polygamy. Mm-hmm. And I really do think that that's a conversation that should be continued and diversified by lots of different perspectives because we really did take only one perspective. But that's something that I feel like, I mean, maybe we'll have a chance to talk about this later, but I a lot of times we get critiqued for taking just one perspective to the text. But I wish, like that was my number one wish that I could tell people about the podcast. We had to. <laughs> like we had to take one single perspective to the text and offer one interpretation for the text because otherwise the podcast would have been something totally different. We tried to acknowledge that there were lots of different ways to interpret the text and the way that we did it on the podcast was just one way, not the way. But I think a lot of critiques that we've received about our work has been that we haven't um, included all perspectives on the podcast. And that's been really frustrating for me personally because how do you how do you make an interpretation without relying on or seeing things one particular way for one particular moment. And I feel like that's what the podcast did. It's like four years worth of small snapshots into the text of interpreting them one particular way through one particular lens. And I feel like that showed up for sure in polygamy. Um, But that's the only way we could have done the podcast was to stick to an interpretation and follow it all the way through with the acknowledgement that that's not the only way to do it. Yeah, but I think like to push on that a little bit, that is also the responsibility that we have as podcasters is to try and be as open and flexible. And like ultimately we are responsible for the interpretations that we make on the podcast, which also means we're responsible for trying to make the interpretations as justice oriented as intersectional and as inclusive as we are as we want them to not as we want them to be but as we claim that we want them to be or as that as we're trying to make them be and so i think yes there's this there's a kind of balance between hey channing and i are really only two white people who like white <laughs> women who grew up in mormonism and we're you know, trying to figure this out as we go and trying to have it researched and do the best we can. And if we want to have a deep interpretation, we end up needing to like narrow it down to something that we can talk about. But at the same time, we're also putting ourselves in this space of authority, in this space of being podcasters that people turn to for for certain things. And that comes with a weight that we, I think, tried to live up to, but definitely fell short of at times. Yeah, and I think that became like that awareness of the falling short became particularly acute as we entered the Hebrew Bible year. And we just recognized, like, are we even the right people to be doing this? Like, we need this, like, scriptural interpretation needs to happen in community because there's no way that yeah. two white ladies can do all of the interpretations all of the time. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that for yeah. sure. So those are all the kind of like challenges that came with the kind of front facing part of the podcast. But the second year of the podcast was also really kind of personally challenging for us, both in our faith and also our relationships to the church. Um, Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, I have always, like when people ask me about the podcast, I always say that Doctrine and Covenants is the year that broke me. (laughs) Like it was so heavy on a study of theology and we spent a lot of time with the basic 
with the basic doctrines and teachings of the church. And this process, because we're always, you know, like I said, so careful and so intentional on the podcast, was really became the point of cognitive dissonance for me because I came to realize how little I truly resonated with the foundational teachings of the church. For so long up until this point, I had been told that my doubt was based in a lack of knowledge about the truths of the church. But the Doctrine and Covenants here was one that I realized that it didn't have to do with the lack of understanding around the church or its theology, but that I fundamentally disagreed with its core values and teachings. This was the year that I realized it wasn't possible for me to continue a close relationship with the church while still maintaining values that I felt were life-giving and important. Listeners of the podcast during the Doctrine and Covenants year will recognize my vacillation between hope and despair with the church. Outside of the church, I was continuing to find meaning and spiritual connection in earth-based spiritual practices, and I began to be a lot more public about my studies in that area on my own personal Instagram, totally and completely separate from the podcast. Pagan practices and frameworks offered me respite as I navigated the waters of an ongoing and intensifying faith transition that was spurred on by the regular interaction with this really activating text and church history. This this year was so difficult for me to continue to engage with the text because I felt like every time, every time we sat down to prep or record an episode, I just was like, oh, I hate this. Oh, this is so frustrating. Oh, I don't like how I feel as I sit down and engage with this text. And I remember even recording an episode about halfway through the year. It's titled Halfway Sermon. And it was at this point that I was like, I can no longer pretend that I'm having a good time Mm -hmm. (laughs) reading the Doctrine and Covenants because I'm not. And as we were prepping this episode, Elise was like, you should share a little bit of the halfway sermon. And I was like, I don't know. It's been like two years since <laughs> since we had recorded it. And I went back and I read through it and I was like, damn, I was like really feeling it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is like really good stuff. So I want to share just a, a few a little bit of this episode to really like demonstrate where I was at and how I was feeling at the time. I wrote It is a unique kind of challenge and a unique kind of pain to read the Doctrine and Covenants as a woman. It has been my experience that the Doctrine and Covenants is a text that, more so than any other portion of scripture, was not meant for women. And by that, I mean it was not written by women. It does not give weight to women's experiences. It does not use language that is relevant to me as a woman. It does not answer questions from women, but instead dictates to and talks at and down to them, and at times objectifies them. It should not be so difficult to find myself in the text. I'm exhausted from the requirement to work so hard to find myself there. Any man could open this book and find a portion of himself reflected back by the language, pronouns, and characters, both mortal and divine, contained in these sections. But a woman's best chance at reading the text is, to borrow the words of Paul, by looking through a glass darkly, a looking glass or mirror which is clouded by millennia of faulty earth, body, and woman-denying philosophy and theology, and its consequential erasure and, pre- and oppression of women." And I go on to share so much more. You can go back and listen to this episode. I was really feeling it Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I had like quite a bit to share, but that just small snapshot really reminded me of how painful it actually was to go through and read this text. In fact, I had even said, quote, erasure has real consequences and it's a sign of hubris or ignorance to think that women can engage with sacred Christian text and not be left scarred by it. And that's how I was feeling. Then that's how I still feel about reading the Doctrine and Covenants. It was such a dissonant experience for me that um, really by the end of it, I was like so ready to just like throw Doctrine and Covenants in the trash. (laughs) Just like never, never read it again. And after that point, I think we can really see my like respect and care for the Doctrine and Covenants as a text kind of start to decrease just because I was so annoyed (laughs) with having to deal with um, the pressure and the pain 
waiting in that text for me. It's not to say that I didn't think that doing that year was worth it because it was. It was what gave me the confidence to navigate my faith transition well, but it came at a price and it was, yeah, it was just rough. How was it for you? How did you feel about Doctrine and Covenants? I think that this is something that challenged our podcast relationship because Because halfway through the year, you had all of these feelings that you wanted to share and that created a lot of anger and maybe uh, like it, you didn't really want to continue working on the Doctrine and Covenants. And so how yeah. do we navigate this project that we said we were going to do, but that doesn't feel life-giving anymore? And like, how do we continue throughout the rest of the year? And so I do remember that year we had some like podcast partner tension that we had mm-hmm. to kind of sort out to see like, okay, look at the end of the day, we're, we are committed to each other as friends before we're committed to the podcast. But like, is this something that we can work through and what do we need to change to make the way that you show up on the podcast feel at least bearable in some way, if we want to continue the project and how do we navigate like who shows up and how, and how we're sharing the workload. And so Yeah, it was a really, really challenging year. And I think that by the time we got to the polygamy series, we were proud of the work that we had done for the polygamy series, but also really grateful to be just done with the Doctrine and Covenants. (laughs) It's a rough test. It's a really rough text. It is also pretty dry, I think. Yeah, it is. And so, and it's dry and historical and you know, it brings up a lot of like Mormon doctrine that we're grappling with. And so it was challenging and it's the second year of the podcast. So we were still pretty fresh into figuring out who we were as people, who we were as podcasters. And then to add the whole layer of like faith on top of it is it's challenging for sure. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like, I think sometimes it's so easy to forget because we were so consistent. Mm -hmm. We like didn't miss an episode pretty much the first year or the second year and the schedule that the manual sets out is so demanding it's a new podcast episode every Every week week, yeah and like to keep up with that schedule can it did burn us out really Mm -hmm. quickly I wish that in the beginning we had given ourselves more opportunity to create space for like rest and rejuvenation which I think is a lesson we learned in the third and fourth year Mm -hmm. um but I also think that that just like demanding schedule and demand on our time and our energy and our focus was also a huge challenge because by that point we had already been doing it for like 18 months of recording episodes nonstop. Right. And that's a lot to ask of two people Mm -hmm. (laughs) with jobs and kids and normal life responsibilities. For sure. For sure. Which is also why I think like by the time we finished the second year and came to the third year, we were like so excited, so elated for this year because it was, we were doing something different. We had just had December off. We had made it through the first two really Mormon specific texts. Mm -hmm. And now we got to come to the Hebrew Bible and we were so excited. And even though we were excited, I remember feeling pretty nervous about the Hebrew Bible too, because it's the one I was the least familiar with. Mm -hmm. And even though in Mormonism, we spent like a year, which is the same amount of time as we spend on all the other texts that we spend on the Hebrew Bible, I just, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like we pay that much attention to it. And so I was really unfamiliar with the stories we were going to come across. And I was also going through some personal shifts at the time. And I, by this time, I had also stopped attending church, but I still really cared about completing the project. And I had hoped for something less exhausting than the Doctrine and Covenants. And I was really eager to see what the Hebrew Bible had in store. And honestly, this was my favorite year by far. (laughs) The stories were so rich with possibilities, Mm -hmm. so many narratives. And I felt like we were also really hitting our stride as podcasters. We had had two years of navigating and orienting ourselves and also coming into some conflict and tension, but we had emerged through that and worked through that in a really positive way. And I felt like we had become more confident and emboldened in our voice, in our politics, in our critiques on the podcast, and it made for some really fantastic episodes. Yeah, I think that this was the year that we both were like, thank goodness. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Finally, something that we're excited about. And like, that year started off with a bang. Like, I honestly... 
this year in the Hebrew Bible contains like almost all of my favorite episodes that we ever did. Mm -hmm. Like I love the creation story so much that we had to do two episodes on it. Like I was so obsessed and I finally felt like because I have always had such a fascination with myths and folk tales and fairy tales and just stories in general that the Hebrew Bible contains so many of those that it really felt like every time I was returning to the text, there was like something new and incredible and exciting waiting for me, which was like night and day difference from the Doctrine and Covenants Mm -hmm. and also was so like resonant with where I was at spiritually at the time. Like at this point in my life, I was really starting to feel quite disconnected from the church and was to the point where I even felt like the term post-Mormon was the most like accurately reflective of where my relationship was with the church. And I didn't even really consider myself like active or nuanced any longer. Like I just wanted to not... not engage with the church at all. And I also think that this shift for both you and I um, really reflected into the podcast as well because we we changed our intro that year. Uh, mm-hmm. We changed our intro from like, we're here to show how we're sh- we're here to like talk about doing um feminism faithfully. And uh, then our intro changed to like, we're here to, travel through the text in a journey with our God and with our experience with spirituality. And that new intro just felt so refreshing and so necessary to kind of couch the change that both you and I had experienced and the change in interpretation that we took to the text. We were a lot more bold. We didn't feel as hesitant to cover like really difficult topics like rape and genocide and abortion and Mm -hmm. (laughs) like some of some topics that we had kind of like tiptoed around in previous years this year we just went straight for it and I'm so glad that we did and I think we did ourselves a huge favor in redoing the intro because I think it changed our expectation and communicated something's different here. And so as we're riding this high, like having a great year for the third year, we carry that into this year, the fourth year of the podcast in 2023, where we got to explore the New Testament. And I was feeling really excited about all of the Jesus stories. And I looked forward to what we, at the time, like, or by this time we thought, okay, you know what? We, we recognize that this is a four-year project because Mm -hmm. from its inception, we don't, we just didn't know if we could do more than four years. We had a goal to work our way through all four of the standard works. But by this time, we were, we really knew that we weren't particularly interested in an eternal project where we just revisited the same texts again and again, for a lot of different reasons. I think the podcast takes a ton of time. It's a weekly commitment that on, and it's something we do on top of our our regular lives, I think. And we had also changed a lot. And I don't know, well, you can say for yourself, but for me, although I still have, like, I will always have passed through Mormonism. Like Mormonism is always going to be the language and the faith tradition that has shaped me, that's given me the language for God and community and neighbor and service, all of those things. And while I recognize that because I'm post-Mormon, I will always have a responsibility and a tie to Mormonism, I don't feel like the podcast is I don't feel like the podcast is something I need to continue to do after already having after already having created this kind of four-year series that I think could still be beneficial for people in the future. Yeah, I think for myself that I feel similarly like I always say that I will always be Mormon because that's how I grew up just like you said It's the spiritual framework that I was given language for talking about divinity, language for talking about spirituality, and it's also part of my heritage. It's like, it's literally a part of me. I cannot ever separate myself fully from it. But also at the same time, I find so much um, richness and connection in other spiritual traditions that so deeply do not align with Mormonism that at some point it started to feel really inauthentic to present the podcast as if it was something that like I truly believed or like truly resonated in or resonated with because so much of my own study happens in my like ancestral traditions in my ancestral heritage which because I'm Northwestern European is not 
the Judeo or Christian texts or Mormon texts. And so it kind of, I kind of began to feel a rift between spending so much time in texts that I didn't really resonate with and that I didn't really feel like reflected any type of spiritual like value or context that I was really interested in. And so it wasn't necessarily for like self-preservation that I felt like the podcast was coming to a close, but really because I have such a strong personal commitment to authenticity and genuine reflection of myself that I no longer felt like continuing to read a text and offer interpretations of a text that I didn't feel a personal connection to. I just didn't feel like it was like honest or worthwhile to pretend like it was anything else. And so, yeah, again, just like this podcast does happen on top of our like personal, like real lives, like you work and you teach classes and the only free time that you have is like during the summer and I have children and I also have like a million other projects that I'm involved in. And it started to feel like the podcast was slowly moving down the ladder of priority and moved more from this is something that I'm really passionate about into this is something that I feel obligated to do. And once it moved into that obligation phase, I think for both of us, we were like, it's probably time to let this go. Um, And we do feel like so good and so peaceful about the work that we've done. Like honestly, a four-year, a four-year collection of an entire catalog of resources for folks to go back to listen to or to engage with is really an amazing offering. And I'm so proud of it. And I also feel like it's done now. And Mm -hmm. I don't really see a purpose in continuing to offer interpretations for the next six months if it's not something that my heart is feeling drawn toward or pulled toward. And I think where we both are in that space together at the same time now, um, and we're both feeling like, whew, we're facing down a new school year and we're facing down new projects on the horizon that we're like, it's time to to let this one go with mm-hmm. as much love and um, gratitude as we have for it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's like the podcast has really given us so many gifts. Like I mm-hmm. feel so blessed to have been able to dedicate four years of my time and energy and inspiration, inspiration and research to something that I felt so passionate about. The podcast has absolutely deepened my friendship with Channing and we've come to know each other so much better than we could have just continuing on Marco Polo's or on phone calls or something like that. (laughs) It's also brought me numerous online and real life friends and it's opened me up to communities that I didn't know existed and it's because of the podcast that I feel grateful to have made these connections. We've been able to learn from and collaborate with so many awesome people like Beyond the Block at Last She Said It, Called the Queer, First Name Basis. The podcast has given me the gift of honoring research and making connections to both our contemporary world and to listeners. I feel like I've been given the gift of confidence and boldness in my work. I think that my gift of patience and conflict navigation has been strengthened and I feel much more equipped to navigate relationships with love even when we disagree. The podcast has opened up a huge group of people online who actually care about the same stuff that we care I know, about. I know, it's so it's, cool. Yeah, it's such a gift to know that there are so many other people out there grappling with faith and doubt, justice, feminism, culture, scriptures, and just trying to figure out how to live life well. And there are people who want to turn to stories to try and make something meaningful of their life. And I feel so connected and drawn to that that desire. And I think that maybe one of the biggest gifts that I've been given from the podcast is that knowing that we aren't alone in all of this or that we weren't alone in all of this. And I couldn't be more grateful or appreciative to everyone who has listened, commented, emailed, shared, messaged, donated, and participated in some way. You have really, really made this a meaningful experience. And thank you so much. Yeah, I really, I really resonate with so much of what you shared, just those those things that we've received, not just from the like friends that we've collaborated with, not just from the experiences that you and I have had with each other, but with the community really broadly. And for me, one of the things that has stuck out the most in our interactions with our listeners has been the 
incredible and what I feel is really unearned kindness that we have received from strangers. Like every, we, we read every single iTunes review. We read every single DM, every single comment, every single email. And each time someone sends words of kindness and affirmation and encouragement our way, I feel so deeply filled and so fed. And it really has been so important to me throughout the development of the podcast to receive that ongoing encouragement because, like I said earlier, I was feeling so inadequate about my ability to to share and show up on the podcast in a purposeful way. And so being able to receive those things were just continual reminders that like, yes, what I'm sharing is good enough. I am enough. And it was so important. So thank you to everyone ever (laughs) who Mm -hmm. even took a minute to say like, we're cheering you on or you're doing great or love your work. Like those, those things kept us going. Me in particular, even when I felt like the podcast was so hard and I wasn't sure if I wanted to continue doing it, I am so grateful for that. And when I think about gifts of the podcast, one thing in particular really comes to mind. One of the gifts that I come back to that just feels so like sticking out in my mind is that collaborative episode that we did, I think in the Book of Mormon year with At Last She Said It, and we were talking about I don't, maybe it wasn't was, the Book of Mormon. No, I think yeah, it was Doctrine and Covenants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we were talking about modesty and chastity or something. And in that episode with Cynthia and Susan, I realized during recording that I was bisexual. And after the recording was over, I remember like unpacking that with Elise and like really quickly afterwards, like coming out to myself, coming out to my husband, coming out to a small group of friends. And then probably about six months later, a lot more broadly to the public. But yeah, that was one gift for me on the podcast was realizing that I was queer. And like, I honestly don't know how long it would have taken me Mm -hmm. (laughs) to realize that um, if it hadn't been for this podcast experience. And so for me, that definitely sticks out as something really important that I received during our time doing this. I'm like so grateful for, I mean, for you making this space together, a space that feels safe enough to explore those things, but also for Cynthia and Susan and the amazing work that they continue to do with the At Last She Said It podcast and really creating just the perfect storm of circumstances, all four of us together for me to have this like quiet personal realization as we were right in the middle of recording. That was like, it it feels like such a miracle when I think about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. It was a bit of magic that like everything combined in just the perfect way for you to like be able to see yourself differently. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Well, as this as this podcast comes to a close, do we want to talk about how we envision this project operating in the future? Yes, I think I hope that the podcast series acts as a source of challenge and comfort for all of those who are looking for something more, something more difficult or more inclusive, more direct, more complicated and more messy than that, than what they're finding in their church and scripture lives. I also hope that this series can be recognized for what it is. Like, this is a work of feminist theology, like Mormon feminist theology. And I hope that it can have some really wonderful impacts on the lives of those who listen. And I know that, like, yes, in five or ten years, when I listen to the podcast back, I'm going to feel, like, so embarrassed and so cringy. <laughs> and because I already I already feel that way just thinking about listening to some of the episodes we did during Book of Mormon year. Mm-hmm. And I know that we've gotten things wrong. We've been insensitive. We didn't check our bias and privilege as much as we should have. But I also know that we really wanted to creating something worthwhile. And in the end, this podcast is a reflection of who and where we were at the time when we recorded it. And I have a lot of grace and appreciation for past Elise. And I couldn't be who I am today without her. And so I hope that this like legacy feels like too strong of a word. But I do hope that this podcast series both acts as a kind of reflection of the years where we were back then, but also continues to inspire or to challenge or to act as a resource for people who might find themselves in similar situations. Yeah, I agree. Like I do, I do kind of think maybe legacy isn't the right word, but the a contribution mm-hmm. to the legacy of Mormon feminism yeah, feels right. like a great word because um, we 
we have benefited so much from the work of all of the women who have advocated for women's rights, women's visibility, women's opportunities in the church prior to us doing the podcast. And we also know that there are incredible, amazing women out there who are doing different work, but still similar and very important work. And people who are hopefully going to listen to this podcast in the future and use, like, please use our work as a jumping off point for continuing to build new opportunities, new experiences, new spaces for women in the church. Like that for me Mm -hmm. would be like the ultimate success of the podcast is for someone to move past and move beyond us yes. like to grow out of the like ground that we've the garden that we've created with this podcast and recognize our shortcomings and also the gifts that we've offered through this podcast and say I'm going to take some and I'm going to leave some and I'm going to make it grow into something incredible so mm-hmm. all of that to say like please please use us like, yeah do more please, do more do yes yeah. do more like Come back, reference, quote, do whatever you need to do with this work. We plan on keeping this content available on our website and on our Instagram page for the foreseeable future as a reference and an educational catalog. While we won't be posting any more content, we will continue to organize our episodes so Mm -hmm. that they can be used for lesson prep and personal study. Um, So please just use this as a resource as you continue to navigate your scripture study and your experience in the church, but also for your, your own personal spiritual journey as it feels like helpful and nourishing. So that is, that is kind of the future of the project as we envision it. Um, so Elise, I know that, I know that you are not the like kind of person to like shine bright in the middle of all of the spaces and tell us exactly what amazing things you're going to be doing after this podcast, but what do you anticipate to be doing now that you're not recording a podcast every mm-hmm. week? Yeah. Now that we're not going to do the podcast every week, I, I'm working on my PhD in English literature. So going to devote a little bit more time and energy to writing and reading and doing all the PhD things, but I'm also still teaching full-time at the university. So I have classes in different forms. I'm teaching some classes and taking some classes as well. So we be working on a lot of those types of things. And I also hope that there are new passions that arise. I've been really into like figure drawing lately, and I hope that I'm able to build stronger relationships with the people in my life that are in my local community. So that's kind of yeah, I think that that's where that's where I'm at, or that's what I'll be doing for at least a couple more years. Who knows? Yeah. But what are you a lot going of to offline be up to? work? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to be up to though? Um, I think what I'm going to be up to is a continuation of what I'm already up to, but maybe a little bit more fully now that I get to take my hand out of one paint pot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe now I'll get to put two hands in one paint pot. Um, one of my projects that I just am so passionate and so devoted to right now is a project called Nourishing Kin. It's a local community for people of Northwestern European ancestry who gather in Utah. I co-facilitate this space with my friends Bergen and Elisa, and we have just had some really incredible community building experiences, and I'm really excited to continue to deepen those over the next few years. And then in the fall, I will be teaching a class about the Norse runes, which is like so amazing to share on this podcast mm-hmm. for like the first time ever because I've like never talked about this. Um, but I'll be teaching that in the fall and I'm really excited. And also, you know, the same as I was feeling about the podcast, a little scared and intimidated around it. But I think it's going to be amazing. So I'll be around probably online because I love uh, taking up a little bit more space in that area. But yeah, just like being a mom and being a community builder and a community member and all that good stuff, all the good stuff. And we'll also keep our Instagram around too. I don't know how often we will check it, but just know that it's everything's going to stay alive and online for a little while. And we'll still have our email, but we won't be as active, if active at all, on the Faithful Feminist account in any kind of proper way. But just know that we're sending you so, so much love. We couldn't have done this podcast without you. And We'll still save you a seat on the soft chairs, but we've moved them to places that feel a bit more comfortable for us this season. We'll save you a soft seat on the bus or at the museum, in the library, on the park bench, or even a seat at dinner. 
And in the end, we hope you'll save one for us too. Thank you so, so much for a beautiful journey. We love you. Friends, thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of the Faithful Feminist Podcast. We know your time and space is sacred and we're grateful to have spent ours with you. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you showed your support by sharing the podcast, leaving us a loving rating on iTunes, or connect with us on Instagram as The Faithful Feminists. We're deeply grateful for your kindness and encouragement. We love you so, so much, and we hope to spend more time with you again soon. Bye, friends!